You're so blessed. You all are blessed. But you know that, right? Um, let's talk some more about Bach before we leave because he's, he's worth more than five minutes. Um, so we're still on page three. Um, we're talking about Bach being the last... Well, before I talk, say that, just, just to, to brag on him a little bit more, he was, an, he was an architectural genius. His music was architectural. And you've heard his, all his toccatas and fugues and things. Then another voice comes in. I could have played some of those for you, but I didn't. You know he wrote preludes and fugues. Those are extremely difficult to start a melody, then have another melody come in, then another melody, and keep them all going and make them sound interesting, and then they change keys and all that. The guy was truly a musical genius. He did that vocally, too, in the music that we saw. And we're going to look at some other of his musical examples. Um, but it was more than just that. He wasn't just some wunderkind, you know, wonder child, prodigy like Mozart. He was deeply concerned about the gospel. He signed all his music soli deo gloria, for, only for God's glory. His music is so steeped in the word that it has, Bach has become called the fifth gospel. And to the point that, not that, you know, we don't want to add to God's word, but the point is that in, like in Japan, Japan had, has had a big flourishing and interest in Western music. If you notice, so many um, super accomplished musicians are Asian, right? Chinese, Japanese, you see them, they just tear up the keyboard. They're incredible, right? They, they, they focus and they study. They love Western music, okay? They realize the treasure that it is, especially the complex music of the great composers. Well, one thing that I've heard is true is that in Japan and other lands in, the, in Asia, just listening to the music of Bach has brought the gospel because the music is so saturated. Remember I said one of my early principles, music teaches, is not just the message, but the music itself. There's so much in the word of God as set to music of Bach. I can't say enough about that. He embodies the skilled craftsman of music and is put together and represents the height of the reformational principles. And just like the ancient uh, or the medieval vocal music we heard, that other previous example where the polyphony that the resonant polyphony was kind of the height of the vocal per perfection Bach was also into all that perfection I haven't gone into great detail of things like you know like the golden rectangle the three to two ratios like the Greeks with building the Parthenon but many of the ancient world were very much into these universal discovered ratios and you know like a nautilus shell there's all this math that goes on in, in the created world Bach put that into his music. He was like a musical engineer. And I have no time to show that to you, but I just want to talk to you about, he just didn't come up with some great tunes. He was intentional, he was gifted, and he tied it all to the word so that it was edifying to people and we could really not, never exhaust the beauty of it. Um, I don't know that I can say much more about that. But let me give you a, um, another musical example. Let's turn to page 338. 
This is box setting of a mighty fortress. I might be the wrong. Yeah, that's there, but I might want to I might want to do a different one here. Hang on a second. Let me just see if he's got anything else here. That might be the best one. There was one. Where was the one I found that was right across from it had the... Oh, it was where... Ah, that's all right. We'll do this one. We'll do this one. A mighty fortress is our God. Have you ever sung this one? You have? Nah, some have, some haven't. Maybe I'll just play it once and just listen to how much it moves. Sorry, I, I'm not as really familiar with this one as I am the one that we sang that's in your packet. Can you see it's moving all the time? It just doesn't stop, okay? And just to show you the beauty, just let me sing. Uh, this is going to be on tape forever, but anyway, here we go. Just look at the bass line. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Can you almost hear the strings? You can picture the big double basses doubling that, can't you? And the tenors, I don't dare do the tenor, it goes up to a G, a mighty fortress is, it's way up there, okay, and even the do, even the lowly altos, who usually get to sing, when I survey the wondrous, sorry, how's it go, when I survey the wondrous cross, I hardly get to move if I'm an alto, right? Okay, but look at the altos. And yes, I'm going to sing altos. It's actually my favorite part to sing. Almighty fortress, he is our God. Octave jump in the alto part. Are you kidding me? Okay. Every melody is a melody. Every part's a melody. It's not just like the bass gets something nice, the melody gets something nice, and the poor tenors and altos just have to fill in and move. Every part. It's like a fugue that's all happening together. Can you see that? Even though I can't play it on piano all together because I don't know it this way. But they're all moving. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. All together, right? Have you sung this one before? Yeah? How many have sung it? Okay, we won't try it. <laughs> I don't want to make it hard. This is what I call difficult, but it's really, really cool. And if I, I, if during the break, is this, this is the last one we have, right? The last session? Ah, okay. I was hoping he'd have oh, How Lovely Shines the Morning Star. But I will see if there's one more because I just want to, you all to sing some really cool box stuff. Well, we did O Sacred Head, didn't we? Did we all sing O Sacred Head? Did we sing it in harmony? Oh, 220. But that might be Nikolai. Let's see. He, he might. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> I wish you had. This, is, this, points out a, this points out a great point, though. 
Or at 2.20, how lovely shines the morning star. In 1597, this is two, 150 years before Bach, it's a more straight version. How lovely shines the morning star. Very together, what they call homophonic, one sound, homophony. Then, it's not in your hymnal, I don't think. It's in the Trinity hymnal. Listen how Bach does it. How lovely shines the morning star. The nations see and hail afar. That's the tenor line. Here's the bass line. How lovely shines the morning star. The nations see and hail afar. Look at the um, fine, great, and glorious. Okay, look. I'm getting excited now. Can you tell? Page 221. Sing great and glorious with me. See 221? Great and glorious on the right hand. Here we go. Great and glorious, thou victorious, Prince of graces, filling all the heavenly places. This is the bass line for Bach's version. Ooh, this is so fun to sing. A little harder to play on the organ pedals, but here it goes. Great and glorious, thou victorious prince of graces. Isn't that fun? You can just hear it like that one we did with the whole orchestra. Can't you hear it? And the oboes and the trumpets. Ah, okay. Just to show you, he takes what was before him and he just goes, he just builds on it. It goes very complex. So can't find any more examples that I know and can play right now in your hymnal because it's a little different than mine. But just to show you the glories of Bach, all right? It can go from simple to very, very complex, and you can learn to enjoy it and practice it a lot so that you can sing them and play them because that's even harder than singing them. Point, a side point on that. How many of you play piano and have tried to, tried, that's already setting up, and play hymns or have tried to play hymns? How many even find them hard to play? Guess what? They're not meant to be played. Did you know that? They're meant to be sung. Not that you can't play them, but they're written for vocal parts. And the vocal part can very be, have you ever tried to play and say, oh my gosh, I can't bridge between the bass and the tenor? Well, who cares? Because the bass can sing down here and the tenors can be, it works fine when they sing. Or if you have orchestra doubling it, it's fine. Or the organist can do it with his foot down here and right, okay? But the poor pianist, oh my gosh, that's why. So don't feel bad. If you're trying to play hymns on the piano, they weren't designed to be played on the piano. Doesn't mean they can't be, shouldn't be, won't be, gonna be. But that's, they're designed to be vocalized and then doubled with instruments. Okay, Whew. let's move past Bach because I'm gonna run out of time. We had a real shift after, after the height of Bach, who was the last great and greatest church composer. Um, Oh, and I didn't even get to the hymns of Catherine Winkworth. Wow. I'll just say this. If you look at the Lutheran hymns, just like John Mason Neal translated so many of the Latin hymns, if you look in the back of your hymnal someday for Catherine Winkworth, she translated, she was the best translator of the uh, Lutheran hymns. And her poetry is so fantastic. We have to at least sing one verse. Let's do 322, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. That tells a wonderful story. Praise to the Lord who creation, who sustains you, who sustains you in grief. Oh boy, I really should have gone to this one because this is my favorite one, but that's okay. Here we go. Are we at 330, 322? Here we go. 
Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. O my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. O He who here, now to His temple drawn near, join me in glad adoration. That's good. Thank you. I could talk at length about um, her hymns. Another, if you were taking notes, another person to look up is Paul Gerhardt, G-E-R-H-A-R-D-T. Some of the best hymns in the Lutheran tradition are his. In fact, let's look at this one because this is, this is a, a wonderful, this is another meeting of many things. This is number 340. This is another, this is a gem on many levels. You're going to love this one. Hymn 340. It may not sound Lutheran because guess what? The music didn't come from Germany. This is proving that we can sing American stuff too. We just don't have to be European. This is an American Southern tune. Ah, Jesus, Lord, thy love to me. 340. It was written by Paul Gerhardt in the mid-1600s. Then it was translated by, of all people, John Wesley. And then in the American South, it was set to that tune, okay? Do you know this one? How many know this one? It's, let's sing it. Ah, Jesus, Lord, thy love to me. No thought can reach, no tongue declare. Oh, bind my thankful heart to thee and reign without a rival there. Thine holy, thine alone I live, myself to thee entirely give. That's a very, very wonderful hymn. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting thing about this. Listen to the scales. The only notes are It doesn't have, it's what's called the pentatonic scale. Do you know, when you think of this, what do you think of? What kind of music do you think about that as? American West, right? Does that sound like some Western movie? doesn't have the whole scale just five notes pentatonic okay just throw that in there for no extra charge the a lot of the american music from the south the american folk tunes run the pentatonic scale they don't sound european they don't have the same they don't have the same scales and sometimes they're kind of modal it gives it an interesting and a fresh sound also what wondrous love is this oh my soul oh my soul what wondrous love is this Da, 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 ba, da, ba, da, da, da. That's modal also. It's on D and it has no, no um, black keys. Da, 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 da. It's interesting and different. So yeah, I'm really, I can tell I'm not trying to cram everything in here at the last minute. It's not going to happen that I was going to get to, but um, that's all right. The main thing I want to say here as we, as we get close to, to wrapping up is after Bach, we have a real drop-off for main reason is the great composers are no longer within the church. When you think about who came after Bach, 
It's the classic era. It's Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven. Well, Mozart wrote some things for the church. The Haydn did too, the oratorial creation and things. But they weren't church musicians. They were court musicians. So they were patronized by the kings and things like that. And their music is more kind of more instrumental. There's a hymn in your book that goes... It sounds like Mozart, okay? It's more instrumental focused, all right? It wasn't, it's not so much how that we're going to take the chant tunes and build on them. It was new classical music. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying it was not as tied to the, to the church. Um, and what was happening in the culture is the scripture is being replaced by reason through the Enlightenment. That has a very bad effect, um, obviously, on the church. Now, you had some spots of light. Um, During the 1700s, you had Isaac Watts, John Wesley, and Charles Wesley, which were prolific hymn writers, and they had a real focus on the gospel. For example, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Let's look at that 267. And how much time do I have? When when do we stop on this session? Hmm? Okay, so about 335. Okay. Let's look at... uh, did I say 267? Yeah, this is Isaac Watts, okay? I'll tell you a funny story about him in a minute. When I survey, here we go. Here's your notes in case you like harmony. Here we go. And when I survey the wondrous cross On which the prince of glory died very good. And for contempt of my Very good. A lot of those phrases ended with a, like cross, wondrous cross. That's that ringing harmonies I was talking about. And, and the second phrase, die, glory, die. Could you tell how it sounds all so wonderful when you sing together? It's those harmonics going on. This is much simpler music. Can you tell? It's much simpler music. The music of the 1700s, basically, we didn't have the Bach-like. We didn't have the glories of the Bach. Again, this is English. It's still wonderful. It's simple, and especially because this music is focusing on the cross, and you you kind of want to, don't want it to be overly complex. You're thinking about Christ and him crucified. But it's very singable. This is one that's, that's easily singable if you're new to the hymnal. But just to show you the difference, turn back one to 265. So you can hear the difference between the English music, more major keys and simple. This is from the Lutheran era. You can see on the left, it has a German, O mein Jesu, ich muss sterben. Okay? You can hear the difference. Here we go. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the... I got rejected, yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Marked as the expected prophet, David's son, less David's Lord. By his son, God now has spoken. <laughs> Can you tell that sounds more German, more Lutheranish, more, ach, the Bach would have written this one, right? You, they each have a flavor, all right? Now, I'm really running low on time, and I need to get to some really important stuff, so we're going we're gonna to go on. Um, 
very quickly. There's a lot of good music in the 1700s, a lot of it gospel-focused. There was the whole The Great Awakening and reaching out with the gospel. The key hymn writers are Isaac Watts, Wesley, and and, um, John and Charles. Isaac, you know, there was all the exclusive psalmody, so um, somebody would say to him, he would complain he didn't like the, the, the hymns or the psalm settings or the paraphrases. He found them kind of wooden, so somebody said, well, if you think you can do better, I think it was his father, go ahead. So he started writing hymns and, and, and um, wrote, a, wrote a bunch of them. We could spend a lot of time on English hymnody, which is where I would be talking now, but I can't. I specifically wanted this, knowing that I had a short time, to take you from the beginnings of the church music and get you through the Reformation because it's so foundational. I knew I'd be a little skimpy on later hymnody, and as Presbyterians, a lot of our hymnody is English, Scotch, and I purposely am not going there right now um, just because of time. I wanted some of the principles of music that I'm going to talk to in just a few minutes are best shown in what I've just talked about. So now, then we take another step from the 1700s into the 1800s, and we have what's called the Romantic Era. All the very beautiful florid music, Chopin, Liszt, Brahms, okay? And philosophically, not that everything was wrong in the Romantic Era, but there was an individualistic emotional focus and some of the music moved away from, from the sturdy tunes. Like what we just heard is very sturdy. Big sturdy chords. And we started to move to... That's more romantic, okay? It was chromatic. We just go up one little step at a time. It's not locking right on those harmonies we talked about. It's kind of in between and kind of schmaltzy. Tell you what, you, you guys all know that at the name of Jesus, right? In the Trinity hymn that we have, they didn't use that, that tune. Here's some, here's a, this is not in your hymn book, fortunately. You all know, right? At the name of Jesus, knees are going to bow and he's going to come again in glory. So you need, you need music like that, right? Here is at the name of Jesus with a tune that was only five years after it was written, the, the text, and it's romantic with a lot of the, okay? At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Does that sound like a call to bow? Every tongue confess him, king of glory now. That's not too bad. Tis the Father's pleasure, we should call him Lord. That's pretty good. But then with your big sappy ending, who from the beginning was the mighty word. Okay? That's the romantic era at its worst, okay? Right? Okay. So, wisely, later hymnals didn't, didn't use that tune. That's all I'm going to show about the Romantic era right now, okay? I'm not trying to paint the whole thing with a broad brush. Mendelssohn was Romantic and wrote some wonderful music for the church. Grieg wrote some music. I'm not trying to say that at all. But as a whole, it was no longer nurtured and patronized in the church. It was individual composers. It was about the artist, not the artisan, okay? Not the nameless artisan who worked on the cathedral for generations. It was, hey, I'm giving a concert. Hey, I'm Franz Liszt. Hey, I'm Beethoven. Can you imagine... Oh, let, oh, praise the Lord in one accord. Okay, I mean, you don't sing Beethoven in church, right? Okay, so music is out of the church. It's all about individual artistic expression. I mean, we're far afield. 
Well, sometimes things get better. Then in the 20th century, you have a recovery. A guy named Ralph Vaughan Williams in 1906 is tasked with writing the English hymnal. And he takes a bunch of folk melodies and old hymns and he improves them. He takes At the Name of Jesus and he wrote, At the Name of... He wrote that tune, 1906. He also wrote, For all the saints who from their labors rest... You guys know that one, right? Okay. So, wow. 20th century music is amazing. Okay? Then... Then we can talk about the whole Christian contemporary music. And wow, I'm not going to be able to get to that very, very much. Um, I need to. But let me talk to you about, first of all, let me talk to you about anatomy of hymn. Let's go quickly through pages four and five. And that will lead us to contemporary music. Because you can't have a conference like this and not address the what about contemporary music. Okay? Um, I have till 335, right? I can do this. I can do this. Because we have so much examples that we've done already. Okay, now, this is my, I'm not going to say necessarily all this is right out of the Bible. Some of it is based on biblical principles, and I've gone to lengths to show you how harmonics and things are the way God created things. But I will at least say these are my observations, my distilled tips when I'm evaluating, hey, should we sing this hymn or not? What I think works best, what I've observed works best for congregations what inspires them to sing well and heartily, what is sonorous and good sounding, and what seems to be biblical, okay? So I'm going I'm I'm to try not to overstate my case. This, these are, this is my Bill's rules of thumb, okay? And, and maybe some will say, oh, you, you shouldn't, you know, you, put, you can push harder than that, but I will at least say that much. So let's look at text. If you want to evaluate a hymn text, well, how do I know it's a good text? Well, let's start with the biblical texts. What are they like? Well, they're lengthy and comprehensive. Each tells a story, right? Like the songs of Moses or Psalm 136, his love endures forever. How he did Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. How he led us through the Red Sea, his love endures forever. How he this, how he that, right? Without actually opening a psalm. You know most psalms are very long and they often tell a story. In fact, I will pull up uh, Psalm 78 because I want to do that one. Um, And... Sadly, you don't have this one in there because I like this hymn, but give ear, O people, to my... Uh, okay, this is the one about that the next generation might know and tell to the children yet to be born, and it talks about the story. The Ephraimites, he did this and that, but they didn't keep God's covenant. Well, then he led them through the cloud and the night with the fiery light, but they sinned, so they tested him in the desert. Then the Lord did this, and then he opened the skies. It's like the story of the Israelites through the desert. This whole... This is Psalm 78, all this, Okay? And there's a wonderful hymn that's not in your hymn book that goes, My people give ear, attend to thy word. And it's the setting of this when it says, Let stories be told to our next generation. It's a wonderful hymn that is a setting of Psalm 78 that tells the story. And so the best hymns are those which, like the Bible, are lengthy and comprehensive texts that tell a story with mature, rich poetry and vocabulary, like the Bible. That's why Catherine Winkworth, for example, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. And then the later verse, um, Praise thou the Lord, who with marvelous wisdom hath made thee, decked thee with health, and with loving hand guided and stayed thee. How oft in grief hath not he brought thee relief, spreading his wings to o'ershave thee. That's some pretty good poetry, isn't it? How oft in grief hath not he brought thee relief, spreading his wings to o'ershave thee. And then in response, Praise to the, praise to the Lord, 
And it's like, all ye that have life and breath, come now. Let the amen sound like, come on, everybody. After I told the story of God's goodness, let's all give it back, okay? Catherine Winkworth is a master of that, okay? The primary focus is on God and his work with a proper perspective on self, okay? You can sing about my soul is, is woe and me like the psalm, but not all about me, 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 okay? I'm going very, very quickly. Hopefully this is resonating and you'll have these for later. They're Christological, like Psalm 2, kiss the sun, ye nations. Um, Psalm 72 is about the king of Sheba and bringing the riches to the king. Um, Philippians 2, that's where at the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow, therefore God uh, highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess and he shall bow. Revelations 4 and 5, worthy is the lamb. And holy, 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 Lord God Almighty comes. You see in heaven, John gets a glimpse in heaven, sees the elders falling down. Holy, holy, holy comes from there. Worthy is the lamb from the Messiah. You guys know that one, right? Worthy is the lamb. The big climax of the Messiah um, comes from that. Biblical song texts are going to have the full range of biblical emotion. They're not, they're not going to just be, well, I just say that. And they're doctrinally dense. So the point is, they're thick, they're meaty, they're like the Psalms and the other, that's what a good hymn text is like, okay? Contrasting with short excerpts that don't tell the story, okay? Like, I used to lead this one, this is the day, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made, just that, I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a, it's, it's a scripture song, but it's just telling a part of the story. Or simplistic or childish, casual, rever- irreverent language. Okay, so what texts fit the biblical song pattern? Actually, the words of Scripture or versifications of Scripture and Scripture-based hymns like the one I just mentioned, My People Give Ear. Um, I'm going to go now to the music because this is what people really get. Um, and I'm going to uh, really need, need to understand this. How do we decide on what's good music or what works well? Number one, it should complement and support the text. Remember where I talked about God of wrath and judgment. You wouldn't do that, right? You want the music to, to fit the feeling of the text, okay? It's, I, you're, some of you are laughing, but sometimes people don't do that, okay? Um, the first thing is melody. Melody is key. It needs to be beautiful and singable. That's where the whole chant, that's why I spent so long on chant, chant-based melody, often does that. But hymns, many hymns, they don't have to be chant-based. Jesus, lover of my soul, goodness. I can't, I can't think of the words right now. Uh, while the streams over me roll, okay? Beautiful, beautiful melodies. Cycles of rise and fall, okay? God created in six days and rested. A good melody is going to come, and it's going to come and come to tension and release. Um, range is good. If it's an octave, it's very good. A mighty fortress is our God. Ah, da, 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 da. That uses the whole scale. If you use less than an octave, sometimes the music doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. If you do, da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, da, ba, ba, ma, ma, like on the wonderful grace of Jesus, praise his name. That's very hard to sing if you get too far outside your range. Um, intervals, a variety of small skips and steps. You don't want to go. Okay, sometimes music is like that. Even Little Town. 
Oh, little town of Bethlehem. It's a little, little less singable. It's beautiful, but it's a little less singable. Those early psalm things, you know, da, 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 they're designed to be easily singable. And use modes, not just the major and minor scales, like at the name of Jesus. Okay? So main thing is beautiful melody with a nice range and singable. I'm not going to get too much in rhythm. Um, the nice thing is if, if you have chant-based chant things, like some of the ones we've been talking about, your rhythm can fit the text and it's flexible. Um, but you want it to be singable, not overly syncopated. Some music is, especially some of the contemporary music, it's, it's so hard as it... It's like, where do I... Unless you're really good at it, it's where do I come in, okay? Most church music, it's typically on the beat. So that you don't have to... That's syncopation, okay? It's fun to mess around with, but it's not as good for corporate worship. Harmony, this is, this is what I really wanted to spend time on, but it's, I, and we will... A little bit, and you'll get into it. Okay, frequent changes. Every beat or two, like, Oh God, our help in ages past. Oh God, our help in ages past. Every, it's a different chord. Our help in years to come. See how that changes? It makes it strong. As opposed to, Oh God, our help in ages past. Our years to come. That would be boring, right? Okay? So you want it to change. All the that great hymns you really, really like do this. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. You say, well, you just played two German ones. Of course, they're the best. Okay, how about, how about that English guy, Ralph Vaughan Williams? From all the saints, change, change, who from their labors rest. Okay, that's the one in the chord now. Okay, all right, you see that? Frequent change. The Bible doesn't say thou must frequently change. It sometimes says it's kind of Bill's principles. It's my observation that when you frequently change the music, the people stay engaged and it's more celebratory. That's my point. Okay, it keeps them and it makes you want to sing out. So frequent changes and strong chords. The main chords of the scale, not flowery chords. Okay, not, and not flowery chords like... Okay? That doesn't make you want to belt out the melody. It might be pretty for an artful song or maybe a choir song. You're like, Oh Lord, thou art our shepherd. Da, da, da. Okay? But not for when you just want to bang out and have the people sing. Strong harmonic movement, not chromatic movement. We just talked about that. Moving bass line for all the saints is fantastic. <laughs> Can you hear it? It doesn't stop. Or, or in box. Okay, you remember that? Oh, here he comes. Okay, moving the bass keeps things moving along. Whether it's 1600s Bach. Sorry, I'm forgetting you folks on the left. I'm so sorry. I've been looking over here so much. Or whether it's 1906 Ralph Vaughan Williams, Okay. And moving inner voices. Don't forget those boring basses and, or tenors and altos like the Bach, okay? And don't worry about inversions. That just means play, you can play a chord like this or 
you can play it in different positions and it moves, okay? I went way too quick through that. But the point is, can you see what I'm trying to say is there's real architecture going on. There's thought about this. You can have a rich Bible, feels like you're singing the Bible text, and interesting, complex, rich music of a very different, of different styles, different countries, different eras, and not all, just, not even just all um, old, like we did the Son of God goes forth to war. Listen to this one. This is, A, it's minor, which is cool. Not everything's major. Has strong chords and it moves a lot. The Son of God goes forth to war. The King Lee crown to gain. 1994, I think, okay? So I'm not just saying only old is good. It just so happens that usually, oh, thank you, older composers are more steeped in that and the modern is less willing to do that okay, because they were into the, the culture of the day. So now in only two minutes, with all that as the foundation, I have two minutes to talk about contemporary music and wrap everything up. <laughs> wow, right? Oh, did you give me a two? Or, good, that, may, that scared me. So that means I can hurry faster. <laughs> Way to go. All right, good, I have 12 minutes. Okay, contemporary Christian music. I said I wasn't going to throw this under the bus, and I'm not, but I am going to point out there is a major difference in, in architectural principles. There's a different purpose. You know, Bach and others are writing within the church to try to build on the historic things we've talked about and make the most glorious music that we can. Contemporary mar- m- Christian music, and by that I mean music from the 1960s on, sometimes has a different goal. Not all the time, and I'm not trying to criticize, you know, these are my dear brothers and sisters. They're, they're singing music with all their hearts. For, for praise and worship. And like I said, anybody can praise the Lord with a good heart on anything. So, but why haven't churches like yours and ours adopted it very much? Or maybe you do a song or two, maybe you do in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Maybe you know that one. We do that one occasionally. That's one of the better ones. Um, but just we haven't gone whole hog because the genre has some certain limitations. First, I'm going to talk about its strengths. Contemporary Christian music, you know what I mean, guitars and things like that, has, it does foster jubilant worship, right? And, and the Bible talks about using the whole body, clapping and things. It does to allow, we see a multiplicity of instruments. Um, as, as somebody was asking the question, well, what did the, in the Psalms, we see David using the timber and the lyre and the harp and all that. Somebody said, well, what about guitars? Right. Um, which also means you can have other people involved. I mean, maybe not everybody can play the organ, but a lot of times people in, c- can play guitars, and that's what they're, that's the music, that's what they like, and they listen to, and they're trained with that, so they, c- they can participate that way. Often, the scripture can be scripture-based texts, actual scripture portions, like the scripture songs, especially back in the Maranatha. I don't know if you anybody, you know, ask, and it shall be given unto you, or humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Some of those early from the 60s and 70s were very much scripture, all right? So there are some strengths. I'm not saying, you know, bad, bad, bad. I'm saying there are, there are things about it that maybe just traditional hymny doesn't have. On the other side, you need to look at its limitations, okay? Number one is, and I mentioned this in the first protected context. Some songs are appropriate for certain contexts and not others. Some of the contemporary music, not all of it, has a, sa- has a feel 
like you're in a coffee house or it's just on the radio or something, okay? Or in, in the worst case, you're like you're at a rock concert. And I'm not really criticizing Christian. I mean, I'm not even, nobody, I'm not talking about playing on a page or holy name. Okay, you're not even thinking about that. But you might be, why can't we do for all the saints who from their labels rest? Why can't we hep up, use the old tunes and just hep them a bit, okay? I get asked that a lot. Well, okay, but is the music, remember the music speaks. Is it going to say you're at the club, you're at the bar? You, you have to think about that, okay? Not every song makes you think that, okay? But you do want to think about the associations. When you sing these, church, these songs that came out of the church, you know you're, you have that different feeling about that. So think about the associations. Think about the context. Oftentimes we find that the text is too casual. Like there used to be a song a while ago, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't putting on the Ritz, talking about God. We get it, but that's, is that really how you want to talk about God? Or they can be repetitive over and over one more course. Or it can be truncated scripture content. It may be the scripture, but it's, you know, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. That's just one verse. Or, or, uh, or the other one, I did. this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord... Again, just one verse, okay? musicality music also often does not serve the text because we're trying to get into that easy easy listening mode how are you going to sing about god's power how are you going to thunder how are you going to say dash the let them dash their infants to pieces in, in, in psalm 130 how are you going to do that with the, with the worship chorus right okay it's tricky sometimes to set all the bible's text to the music so you have to be careful with that. Sometimes it can if it's well done. You have, it just calls for a lot of thought. I'm not trying to make blanket statements. I'm just saying in general, the thought is different. And you, have, you lose the whole independent part movement. All the beauty of the Bach and things that we learned that you do soon. That people aren't doing that. There's no, they might be singing in harmony, right? There might be, Please is his name of the praise. Praises his name of the There might be harmony, but it's, and it's tight three-part harmony. But it's not that intricate, thanks. So you move away from that beauty and richness. Um, and the reason is there's left, uh, let's go down to point four. There's less concern for building on the masters. That's not what they're about. They're about being accessible. We want people to walk in off the street. Even sometimes they say, you know, come as you are. This music sounds like you. You'll feel like you're in your living room, right? That's a selling point to some of the churches is let's just, you know, we... We, 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 we bring you, meet you where you are. And that's well-intentioned. We do want to meet people where they are, but we want to bring them in and train them. And if it, so the, the, the thought is not we're building on the music of the church. It's we're bringing music that sounds like what you already like, and we're making it, making it available for you. Okay? Um, I, can't, I can't really talk more about that, but just to wrap up, I have one minute. So what should our goal be? Okay, we, we talked about all this. We did a survey of music history. We realize there's a lot of music out there, some of it very complicated, some of it not, from all different nations, from all of a different time periods, some of it very new, like Greg Wilbur's The Son of God Goes Forth Tour. There's contemporary music, which is a little lighter, a little more easy to relate to for, for a lot of us, maybe for some of our kids too. What do we do with all that? Well, we look for rich scriptural texts. We look for good, rich, timeless music that fits the text, that doesn't sound dated, like some, some music does, like there's uh, That can sound dated, but that's 1800s dated. 
but also some of the folky praise music from the 60s and 70s can sound dated too. I guarantee you we're going to be singing at the name of Jesus and for all the saints and O Sacred Head for the next 100 years, okay? So we want better appreciation and use of the best of the old, which is most of what I talked about today. That was my main goal, to help you better appreciate and use the best of the old or the most singable of the old or whatever you say, but also to encourage development and use of the best of the new. We need more Greg Wilbers to write music today that builds on that Son of God Goes Forth to War is an old hymn from the 1800s, Reginald Heber, the guy who wrote, I think, Holy, 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 maybe not. Uh, but he just wrote a new tune for it to, that would sound more sturdy. And actually, you can use guitars for it, which we did it, okay? So we want to develop the best. We, we're not saying guitars are bad. We're not saying it can't have a little bit of life and punch, but it has to meet all the other criteria. It has to support the text, not work against it. It has to feel like it grew out of the church and not like we just imported it off of, you know, KZO2 FM or something, okay? Does that make sense? It's a real tricky task to do, but it can be done, and there are people out there trying to do it today, and I applaud them, and I applaud you all for listening to me and letting me try to race through what should have been another four hours <laughs> in about 30 minutes, so. Um, well, we, how, how are we doing? Five more, five more minutes. Gosh, it sounds like 45 minutes when you say it that way. Let's see if there's any other examples I wanted to, to do. Oh, yeah. Yes, you've got that sound. Okay, we're going to bring up Jamie Souls. I like Jamie. Jamie Souls is contemporary. Do you all know him? And some of his stuff, I have to say, I'm not sure I do it in my church. Mm-hmm. Like he has Psalm 1. It goes, It's planted by a tree, planted in streams of water, bearing fruit in its season. And its leaves shall not wither, planted by a tree. Okay, that's his version of Psalm 1. Kind of rocks, right? You could say it's biblical, but maybe it's a little too rocky for me. But tell you what, here's a version he's done of Psalm 4, where they're really singing out, him and his family. They're one, he's got about like eight kids or something. It's phenomenal. They all sing. You're going to hear child's voices. I'm telling you all this because I want you to appreciate it. They sing it in harmony. It's so blended, I can almost not tell where the melody is, Okay. It's chant-like. Get out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 4. This is a, a chant of Psalm 4. I'm guessing he wrote the melody. I don't think this is some old Gregorian melody. I think he wrote the melody, but I'm not sure. You're going to hear powerful vocals in harmony. It has kind of a modern, fresh sound. You're going to hear guitars. They're strumming, not just like the organ. Remember I said the organ is good for holding chant? You'll hear a string-like machine. I don't think it's real strings. I think it's like a string machine holding like an organ, but you also hear vring, vring, vring. It sounds very much like I would picture what David's worship was like. It sounds like the temple worship and the, these beautiful strings are zinging along at certain punctuation parts and then the Levites are singing in harmony. Answer me, O God, of my righteousness. It's very, has all that deep emotion. It's rich, okay? Singing the Bible with power, with harmony, with guitars, okay? Lay it on us, Jamie Souls. Answer me when I call Oh God of my righteousness Picture King David You have given me relief when I was in distress Read your Bible too Be gracious to me and hear my prayer I think he does the whole song, follow along in your Bible Oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after beautiful but now that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself 